Now everyone, just a quick note from me before we get into the episode. I've started a series of online events all about how to market and produce webinars successfully. If this is a topic that would interest you, I would welcome you to come along completely free of charge. If you visit pickingupperfection.com slash webinars for all the details, and I'll put that link in the show notes too. Hope to see you there and let's get on with the show. Hi there and welcome to another episode. The following recording was conducted as a live event. To join and participate live next time, head over to my LinkedIn page, where episodes are streamed and conducted live up to three days prior to being released on other platforms. There's also some exclusive recordings and events that only happen on LinkedIn too. I'll go ahead and put my LinkedIn profile in the show notes and you can go ahead and connect with me and I'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the show. and welcome to today's session. We encourage your participation through the reaction buttons and please do post any questions in the comments section. We will get to as many as we can. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you are watching live, we would welcome you to participate during this discussion in the chat and comment section on LinkedIn and through those reaction tools. We're curious, we'd like to know how international our audience is today. So go ahead and type where you are joining from in the comment section and we'll take a look at those shortly. But as you can see, I am of course not alone. I am so excited to dive into today's discussion. So please join me in in welcoming Lisa Apolinski, America's digital content futurist, digital marketing growth expert, author, speaker, and has helped someone who has helped create over one billion US dollars in new revenue growth for her clients. What a, an amazing intro, Lisa! Welcome. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Alistair. I'm very excited about this conversation. Not a problem at all. Does that cover everything? I mean, that's a very busy bio. Anything else that you want to add to what you do and what you're about? Um, no, I think I think that really, like you said, it's a lot of hats and a lot of moving parts, um, which, you know, makes my journey an interesting one. <laughs> it's an interesting journey for sure. <laughs> I love that. Do you do you like wearing all those different hats or is that something that's demanded of you? I do. I do. When I first started my agency in 2012, uh, my focus really was on doing some speaking and establishing myself in terms of credibility, um, getting clients, starting my business. I honestly had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I just knew I had a passion for it. I had worked in the corporate sector at that point for about 18 years, and I knew it was time to move out on my own. And just seeing where I've come from in this last decade. I mean, it will be 11 years in March that I've had my agency. Um, and I didn't actually envision what my agency would look like at this point in time. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It simply is. Um, it certainly opened up possibility. Um, I never would have considered myself an author. If you had talked to me five years ago, I would have been like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't have anything in me for a book. I have three books, 
I have two more coming out next year. I have my fourth and then I'm doing a chapter in a book with Mark Schaefer, um, who many of you know is like the gold standard of digital marketing and personal branding. Um, and I'm very excited about that. So really a lot of moving parts, but really an interesting an interesting and sometimes frightening journey, but good all the same. <laughs> I have a lot of um, friends and connections that work in publishing and helping people put books. And I see this phrase a lot on LinkedIn that everyone has a book in them. I, so I guess you're uh, no exception to that. Yeah. Uh, you talked there, <laughs> you talked there about fear. I kind of have the mindset of trying to at least practice um, that feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And I have a lot of friends who surround me and sort of say that the day the fear goes away is the day that you kind of stop caring and that maybe it's time to move to something new. How is that for you? What kind of fears did you face? How did you overcome? Oh, God, what fears did I overface? Um, first and foremost, imposter syndrome. I mean, even though I had been working in Fortune 100s for most of my corporate career, I still wasn't convinced that I knew what I was doing. Um, and it really took trusting my instincts and trusting my natural skill set um, to be able to overcome that. And even now, I sometimes think, oh, geez, you know, I have a fourth book coming out. Will this work? Will this resonate? Will people want to read what I've written? Um, I certainly had a fear for the first book that I wrote, which is, where am I? Uh, Weathering the Digital Storm. I have that right here. Got to have your books ready. <laughs> and um, even when I read it now, I'm like, wow, that's a good book. <laughs> and I shouldn't be surprised, but I am. I'm like, wow, mm. I actually wrote something of value. Excellent. Um, so it's, you know, the the most dangerous neighborhood that you can live in is right here, right? That's where um, a lot of your concerns and past experiences and outside influences can really affect how you move forward. Um, and I've found to get through that fear is just take one action, take one step to move forward. And it can be anything at all, but one action can actually help you to get out of that mindset and to make the voices in your head a little bit quieter. And then you take the next action and the next action. And sometimes the actions don't work and that's okay. Everybody's journey is different. Everybody's journey is unique to them. And I think that that's powerful. It's powerful in your brand story. Um, it's powerful in talking to other people because they want to relate to you and they want to be able to understand your journey. Um, so I think, Every time you take an action, you get a little bit better, a little bit more successful, and you develop a road that is unique to you. I love that. No, I'm a big believer of the same. I kind of get myself when I get caught up in the process or overthinking or, you know, like you're saying, comparing myself to others. I always find just looking at the list and ticking something off and moving towards that is it's so helpful rather than being stagnant in the moment and uh, overthinking things to take a step forward is yes. important. Um, you, you mentioned there about having a, a different journey. You certainly do in terms of a, a non-standard kind of career path, especially there, as you mentioned, working for Fortune 500. Uh, is it Fortune 500 or the Fortune 500 companies? Yes, Fortune 500 companies, yep. So when you were 
saying or making that move to leave those and set up your own business what was the reaction from friends family connections <laughs> um so some of my friends and families were were very supportive they were like oh that's fantastic you should do that and other people were you know i'm paraphrasing but are you crazy like you're gonna give up a really good job <laughs> with benefits and growth potential to strike it on your own. And who knows if that's going to go anywhere. And while that was true, I, in my mind, I thought if I do this and it doesn't succeed, I can always go back. That's, that's the thing. When you, when you move out of a space, you can always move back into a space or move into something similar. Um, I don't think it's once you move out that that door is closed. I think mm -hmm. it's still open or another path will present itself. Um, so I knew that worst case scenario, I could always step back. And when I started my agency full time, when I went into full time work, I actually made, I'm surprised I did this because I, again, I was doing a lot of stuff, kind of catch as catch can fly, the, fly by the seat of my pants. Um, I actually went part time with my company in order to have that that cushion that um that little bit of a safety net as i was growing my business so i felt like i had a little bit of at least financial backing as i was moving forward and it just so happened that i was able to negotiate that and that was by sheer luck um in my organization they had three people who had quit that week. And then I asked for a meeting with my boss and they, she was like, Oh my God. And, <laughs> and so when I asked for that, she was like, yes, yes, yes. Because if I had been the fourth person to quit that week, I don't think that would have looked good for her. And it certainly would have just decimated the marketing team. So mm. I lucked out with my timing for sure. But you know, when I decided to go full time, actually, let me back up. So my origin story for going full full time with my company was actually an interesting one. So it was um, January 2013 and the place was Milan, Italy. Um, I had already been working part time with my business. I was using it for supplemental income. I had to take a significant pay cut for my job. And I was having to work a second job in order to just make ends meet. I was living in San Diego at the time. San Diego, as you know, is very expensive. California in general is very expensive. So I needed to have supplemental income in order to really sustain any kind of, you know, not getting further into a, a to the red. And I had just worked a 14 hour day, 16 hour day. And I had been berated by my boss and, yelled at my colleagues and I came back to my hotel in Milan and I called up my sister. First thing I did. And my sister allowed me to vent for five minutes. Just, you know, I can't believe I'm here and I just worked, you know, a really long day. And now I have to sit in my hotel room and, you know, have like chips for dinner. Like this is ridiculous. She let me talk for a few minutes. And then she asked me how my part-time gig was going. And my energy completely changed in that conversation. I talked about how excited I was working with my clients. They were prior vendors from other Fortune 500 companies that had asked me for assistance with content. Um, very excited. 
And she let me talk about that for a few minutes. And then she asked me one question that changed the entire course of my career. If that part-time gig gives you so much joy, why is it part-time? Why aren't you making that your full-time job and not doing the corporate gig? And I honestly, Alistair, I had never thought of that at that moment. I That hadn't even come into my consciousness until that question was asked. So move forward to April when I'm getting ready to talk to my boss about going part-time. And this was Easter weekend. Like I can still picture it. I'm sitting in a Target parking lot Easter weekend and I had a panic attack. And I thought, oh my God, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to go in on Monday and quit, you know, my job and do this? Am I crazy? And I knew that the fact that I was freaking out about it meant that I was serious about it. And I understood the ramifications. If I had said, Meh, who cares? Let's just do it. That mm. would have been worse. Um, and just being able to know that that was the right path for me and allowing myself to have that moment of, oh, crap, this is like, this is a life-changing decision. This could completely affect my finances, my way of living, everything. And I took that leap. I took that leap. And, you know, there was something right at the end of it that stopped me from falling. And I was, you know, I haven't looked back. I have not looked back, which is awesome. Mm, I think the the gravitas of that decision, you know, it is huge. And like you say, we were saying um, earlier about when there's no fear anymore maybe that means that there's the wrong decision so feeling nervous or apprehensive perhaps means right. that in some situations you're you're considering it properly what right. um do, do you think that by keeping by wearing those two hats of corporate and business do you think the corporate side was kind of consuming your energy and holding you back and only taking that leap would allow you to fully step into your own business oh absolutely i mean I was working because I was working my full-time job, which ended up and ended up being about 60 hours a week. Um, I had my part-time job, my, you know, my, my business, which was 15 hours a week. And then I was also working um, at my church as a section lead for choir. <laughs> so I worked seven days a week and I did that for months on end, months and months and months and months. I was working three jobs. Um, you know, I'm from Chicago originally. So for me, that's just, you know, Midwest mentality, just keep going until you drop, you know. Um, and I knew that also wasn't a lifestyle that I wanted. I didn't want to be on this wheel of work mm -hmm. and just work and work and work and work and work and work and then end up, you know, maybe financially okay, but having missed every single moment that that mm -hmm. was transpiring around me. Um so that was also part of it. I was just getting burnt out and understanding that I could actually switch and have more balance, you know, really helped me to move over to that decision for sure. Excellent. And like you say, it's about balance, isn't it? And weighing these things up. And certainly there in time, certainly in my life, I've seen that there is a short term sacrifice of sort of having to power through, but the the momentum that you use for situations like that is not sustainable right so if it becomes right. the norm that's when it's time to to step back and reevaluate perhaps yeah absolutely and there's a cost to everything 
everything does have some kind of a cost to it. The question is, what's the value you're going to get at the end of it? And is it, like you said, is it something long-term and sustainable? Is it something that's adding to your future self? Or is it something mm. that will detract from your future self? Mm. No, I love that. And what was it in particular that made you want to leave the the sort of corporates? Obviously, it, it sort of sounded like it came to the end of its life. You, you couldn't go any further. But what was the kind of mindset that sort of pushed you over that edge? Was it looking for freedom? Was it just looking for new challenges? I think it was a combination of looking for new challenges, really growing in terms of digital marketing. Um, I was already pushing the envelope um, when I was in corporate and, you know, and, and I understand this from a business perspective, doing something that is not completely tried and true and um, is not the norm is shied away from because at the end of the day, they have to make a profit. Um, and, you know, I'm always looking at what's the next thing. How can we incorporate something new? How can we show up new for our clients and our prospects? How can we have a, a new user experience? Um, and digital marketing really affords that kind of entrepreneurial creative mindset because things change in the digital world, like every other day. So being able to expand into that was fantastic. And because I have come from a Fortune 500 background, I mean, that's how I was trained. I understand the intricacies of these businesses and how they have to work. And I can introduce new elements in a strategic and controlled fashion that have immediate results. And once I see the first set of wins... They're like, oh, this isn't totally untried. This is actually working. Let's expand further. Wonderful. And it's interesting no, being um, being an outsider actually gives me more credibility and more credence. And the same, if I was working the same conversation, probably would not go as well. So, Got you. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I think an outsider's perspective is so valuable. And but still having that corporate experience and kind of work through that, I'm sure both serve you very well. But there's lots of, especially in a you know a thing like digital marketing, it is, it's about perception, isn't it? And yes. then to yes. involve perception, you need perspective on who's perceiving you and, and what they're getting out of that. I assume. Oh, absolutely, and. I'm not saying that you should, you know, just totally destroy everything you've ever done. <laughs> you know, that that would be a little bit of insanity. But where have you become complacent and you haven't really stretched beyond where you are? To me, when you look at at how we interact with businesses, um, I don't like using the term B2C or B2B. It's really P to P. It's person to person, people to people. You buy things from people you trust. You have relationships with people you trust. And that's one of the trends that we're really seeing emerging, especially for 2023. This idea of personal branding, authority, and who are the people behind the company you're purchasing from? And are you in alignment with their values and their their beliefs and their brand purpose. 
Um, to me, that is stronger than any kind of coupon or marketing program. Um, mm -hmm. And when you think about that, you know, if I'm purchasing from you, I want to know that you're investing in my relationship as much as I'm investing in yours. We've, I think we've moved past transactional marketing, which was very, very popular, you know, pre-pandemic. That was the time in the Serengeti where the water was flowing and there was food abundant for everybody. And so transactional marketing was fine because there was plenty of market to have. We are now in a very different environment. We have labor shortages. We have global supply chain issues. We have inflation. We have possible recessions. We have political upheaval. There are so many crazy things that are happening. People will now want to know that if I'm working with you, you have my best interest at heart. I'm not just a dollar sign to you or a pound sign. Uh, I want to know that you want to invest in me as much as I want to invest in you. So when you think of it in terms of relationships, you know, where are you making the investments and how are you investing in your clients and how are you investing in yourself? And I think those are two sides of the coin that are really, really important, especially today. P2P is such a wonderful way to think of it person to person. And and you're right. I'm sort of think, sitting here listening to what you're saying, knowing that everything you say is true, especially on the, the personal branding kind of perspective. And also something I've noticed, I'll be interested on in your take on this, Lisa, that people are prioritizing authenticity. No longer people are interested in I'm selling X, Y, and Z, um, here it is. And then if that person is throwing it aside and not actually using it, it has to come across as authentic, right? In terms of this marketing perspective. Is that the same experience? Is that a trend at the moment? Absolutely. And, you know, I actually heard, I was at, um, I was speaking at a conference a couple of weeks, weeks ago, and one of the keynotes said something that I thought was really, really insightful. She said, it's not about being an expert anymore. It's about being an insider. How are you bringing prospects and clients inside and, and giving them that experience? Um, I think that ties into that authenticity. Um, it's not about staging something. It's about bringing them into your world and really showing them vulnerability and how things work. Um, yeah. And that, you know, that, that goes to the, the whole picking up perfection, right? People don't want to see a, a glamorous, perfect facade, because that's really hard to live up to. They want to <laughs> be able to see all the flaws, all the issues. So they go, okay, that person has similar problems to me. They're kind of messed up like I am, yet they've, they've, they've made it. They've made their mark. They've moved forward. They have some sort of happiness. They have a state of being that I'd like to have. I can see myself in them. And I can see myself going from where I am now to where I want to go. And that's the journey that people are looking for. They, they don't want to be sold something. They want a partner that's going to help solve their issue, help them get to a future state of success where they're the hero and the other person has helped guide them along to that new state of being. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you were saying there about the the insider, I think that is this is really profound insight. And it speaks to me in in volume, maybe perhaps coming out of the pandemic, there was such a huge emphasis on building communities. And I think that's flipped a lot of things. I, I was very fortunate, or I am very fortunate in my career to, even though I work agency side, working with our clients, it feels very much like a partnership. I've never really necessarily experienced a client supplier relationship. Instead, it will be a collaboration working. And the difference of that when you're not scared of, or not necessarily scared, where you're not intimidated of the person that you're working with and it's coming together, the creativity just flows so much better and it's so much, much yes. more comfortable working environment. So yeah, pleasing to see that, that the market is on the trend to kind of brands communicating that and hopefully attracting that kind of client that will support that ecosystem. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, you know, before we've always heard the, the phrase that, you know, it's cheaper to keep a client than to have to replace a client, right? That the focus really should be on the client base that you have and developing those relationships. And I, I know I read a, a data point somewhere where if a client stays, I think it's two years, you get four times the amount of revenue as a new client. So it's clearly a good investment. There's there's a, a good ROI. And I think now that we're post-pandemic or nearly post-pandemic, I think the, the cost of acquiring a new client is going to continue to rise because, mm. again, new clients know their worth, they know their value, and they're not just giving it away for free. They're being discerning of who they're going to purchase from who they're going to work with. And I think that's also true on the employee side. They understand that they're just as valuable and who I choose, it could impact me. And I want to make sure I'm choosing wisely. So this investment in relationships and investment in your client base and making sure that your clients are happy, I think is becoming even more important and new clients coming in, I think you'll have to do a lot more work on the front end to get a conversion. It doesn't mean that you can't get them. And it doesn't mean that you don't have products and services that are of value and are better than your competition. But the question is, how are you relating that to your prospects? And how are you continuing to show value to your current clients so that you're always moving the relationship forward. Um, one of my clients that I work with, I, he, he really talks about this so profoundly. He talks about it's a difference between a commoditized relationship and a non-commoditized relationship. The commoditized relationship, again, is that transactional, I give you money and you give me something back. Very superficial, nothing of actual value. And it's based on price. That's it. It's, it's a price point conversion conversation. When you move into a commoditized strategy, you're showing the value that you bring at that price point. Is it peace of mind? Is it success? Is it partnership? Is it growth? What is it that you're bringing that's a value? And now the price variant is secondary because it's mm. what what are you willing to offer 
and how much can you impact them? And the price is almost irrelevant. I mean, can you imagine having a conversation with a client or a customer where price is, is almost a non-issue? They just want to be able to work with you and they understand the value they're going to get. That's a fantastic conversation. I'll have those conversations all day. Those are the conversations I want. Mm, absolutely. And very interesting there. You do the comparison between clients and employees. And certainly in recruitment trends recently, I think that people are looking at their own values as in what they prioritize and company values and making sure that they align before sort of stepping into that recruitment space that is at the forefront. And the same for, for clients, obviously, based on this discussion. And it's funny, value has the double meaning of this. It's like the values that is, what's their ethos, but also the value that you're providing and not the price you're necessarily providing it at. So really yes. profound. Thanks so much for sharing. Lisa. Yeah. And, you know, I will bring this up just because I think it's, it's relevant and it's going to be curious how it kind of pans out. One of the things we talked about in the conference I was at a couple of weeks ago is about Elon Musk and Twitter. Mm. And we had some debates over what might happen. And, you know, one of the great things about investing in that relationship and that personal brand is it gives you a little bit of room to mess up <laughs> that whole picking up perfection, right? Um, you know, depending on what side of the, the coin you're on, you know, my personal opinion, Elon Musk is making some business decisions not based on business, which tend to not work out. However, you know, there is an opportunity to, to shift, to pivot and kind of undo some of the damage. But what we were talking about is how is this now going to affect Tesla? How is this now going to affect SpaceX? Because those brands are really tied to his personal brand. And, you know, there were debate around the dinner of a, you know, dinner conversation of whether or not, you know, Tesla now is going to die because of the decisions that are being made on Twitter. And he spent a lot of time investing in his personal brand. And if he can go back to that, humility and that vulnerability, I wouldn't necessarily count them out. Now, it really depends on, on how he moves forward with his decisions around Twitter and then how that affects Tesla. But I, I don't think you can just say, oh, that's it. He's done. Because again, because there's a personal brand aspect and it's a human aspect, he actually does have some wiggle room there where he can say, oops, I screwed up and people can go, oh, and then he can fight back and everyone loves an underdog story. And, you know, things actually could research for him, but it really depends on what decisions are made over the next, I would say, three to six months. If there's this, you know, if, if the human element of his personal brand doesn't get introduced back in, yeah, I think it could have detrimental effects to his other other companies. But if he can bring in that human element, you know, there's a possibility he could actually emerge out of this. Maybe not exactly the way he is now and not the way his companies are now, but I think there is a path forward. 
it'll just be curious to see what decisions are made. Mm. Um, wasn't that his, I don't know if I was reading this or hearing it somewhere, because for me, I, I was never a Twitter user, so I don't know the full story. I've sort of hear, heard snippets from people that have been part of it in the news and et cetera. But when I literally visualized Twitter being on fire was when I saw things show up on my newsfeed of the, the verified tick that was people faking people's names, famous people's names and tweeting out outrageous things, but with the verified tick. So it was like a, almost like a deep fake. But wasn't right. Elon's reasons for doing that to bring authenticity back to Twitter. Wasn't it along the lines of having a verified identity next to someone would make them more, not necessarily cautious, but more honest about what they were sharing? Or have I got that mixed up? Yeah, I, I think that's true. And I, I think that's what he said, but there was a subscription attached to that blue tick. So he's saying that, yet you can tell that he's trying to introduce a revenue stream to kind of stop the bleeding. Um, mm. you know, Twitter's a, you know, Twitter, Facebook, you know, they are channels that are created by other people's contributions. They curate the content, but they don't create it. They simply mm. are a platform for the content to reside. Um, and for, for Facebook and Twitter, one of their major revenue streams is advertising. So advertisers have to believe that people are coming to Twitter, they're coming to Facebook, they're visiting every day, they're sticky, right? They're staying longer um, and they can see their ads and they have an opportunity to reach more people. The issue is when he came on board, I think he should have waited to make any drastic changes so that advertisers mm -hmm. would feel a little more confidence in the platform yeah. and they wouldn't have just said, I'm going to halt. And I don't blame the advertisers for stopping. You don't want to throw, you know, good money after bad, not knowing what's going to happen with the platform. And so they paused everything because again, it's a change. It's an upheaval. You have to give people a chance to recalibrate and go, okay, this seems okay. I can come back in. Um, and because there were so many changes happening all at once, if I, you know, if I was, you know, an advertiser, you know, and, and I actually, a lot of my, my clients don't advertise on social at all. Um, but if I were an advertiser with funds to put on social, I too would pause because mm -hmm. I want to kind of see how things play out before I invest more money into my strategy. I mean, what if, you know, you're advertising and then there are comments or, or posts that are super questionable and then you're mm. on that platform by association, you could get tainted. So yeah, stopping, stopping advertising makes sense. But I think that because that happened, there was some panic at the disco there. And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, then it's like, well, we got to get another, another revenue stream in here. We'll make everyone subscribe to this blue check mark. And it's like, I don't want to pay for that. Like, mm. you know, and the, and the people who really would benefit from the blue check mark are the ones that are doing most of the content contribution that keeps Twitter alive. So 
it, there's an it, irony. Yeah, it, does, it didn't seem like it was thought all the way through. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, and people are like, Twitter's dying. And I'm like, eh. I mean, again, I wouldn't count out, I wouldn't count it out entirely. Um, mm. I, you know, it's just, it would be curious to see. And, I, you know, I'm on Twitter every single day. Um, mm. And I've noticed that sometimes the feed, like, gets a little glitchy. Um, and I've never seen that before. And I'm like, uh oh. I wonder if he fired all the good coders <laughs> and now there are people in the back just trying to, you know, duct tape it together to keep it running. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so I'm kind of watching to see, and I've noticed that like I suddenly get stuff in my feed that I've never gotten before. And mm. I'm like, why am I suddenly getting these people in my feed? Like this isn't content I'm interested in. Um, so there's some there's some coding and algorithm massaging that needs to continue to happen. Um, yeah, I I mean he's you know it's it's kind of baptism by fire for him. Mm. Um, and again, if he's able to to come out the other end, people love an underdog story, so <laughs> yeah. or redemption, whichever way you want to go with it. Um, yeah. you know, and you know he could emerge with a stronger personal brand in the end. It it really just depends on what path he takes moving forward. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, like I said, I'm not on Twitter, I'm no expert, but my guess would be it's going to, speaking of fire, it's going to be like a phoenix rising from the ashes type situation. And, and it, part of it might be to their plan of perhaps of getting the bad press, burning it to the ground and then rebuilding it um, as, the, as they want to be. But it's certainly an interesting topic. Yeah. Um, Lisa, I want to pick up on a word you use there because it's the second time I've heard this and I love it. Um, the word sticky about people being <laughs> sticky. And I think uh, marketing is crucial to sticky clients. Any kind of tips or thoughts on how to make your clients sticky? Um. So when I talk about stickiness, I, I, typically refer to content and engagement where people continue to interact with you. Um, you could call it charisma. You could call it what you want. Um, in terms of stickiness with clients, I think it's, and this is in my latest book, Grow Your Market Share in the Zombie Apocalypse. One of the <laughs> things I talk about is being munificent, which is different than being generous. I, I picked that word specifically because it means going beyond what someone expects you to do to really help another individual. Um, I think when you're working with clients, being in integrity is certainly important, right? You want to do what you said you're going to do. You want to do it when you said you're going to do it and you want to do it as it should be done. Those to me are three things very basic tenets of how you should just work in life and society and relationships. It makes things so much easier. Do what you say you were going to do, do it when you said you were going to do it, do it the, the way that it was meant to be done. And if something happens, because stuff happens and you can't fulfill on one of those three, you just communicate it immediately. And then you talk through a course of action to get back into integrity. There doesn't have to be any, kind of shame or guilt or humiliation or anything else. It's just do those three things. And if something life event happens, you just address it and you get back in. 
Um, but when you be when you're being munificent, you're stepping beyond that that tenant of integrity. You're moving into really showing up in in service and doing more than what your client expects simply because you can. Um, you know, one of the things that I like to do right around the holidays for my clients, I know before I used to send like fruit baskets or cookie baskets or, you know, some kind of holiday thing for the holidays. Now I either develop a graphic that they need or handle editing a photo that they need or creating a brand guideline because they don't have one. Um, something that they can use over and over and over and over. To me, that's an act of service and an act of being munificent, going beyond what's expected. And to me, mm -hmm. that that's the ultimate way to get stickiness with clients. If someone constantly helps you, you're like, that's the person I want to work with. I can give you another example. So this week, um, there was a water main break in my kitchen and my kitchen flooded. Whoops. <laughs> Whoopsies. So um, there is a plumber that I've been talking to, uh, like a, a solo plumber that I've been talking to about doing some, you know, like an RO system and a water softener for my home. I texted him at seven in the morning. He called me back. He helped help me turn off the water main. He, he works at the plumbing company and then he does some work on the side, like on the weekend. He made sure that his upper management knew that I was having an issue. He called the plumber on route to tell him what was going on. He got him here sooner. He made sure it was someone who was really good. Um, the plumber who came had like 25 years of experience. He didn't have to do any of that. That wasn't his job description. And mm -hmm. I'm like, that's the plumber I'm going to use forever. Yeah. He yeah, invested definitely. in the relationship with nothing expected in return. That's the guy I'm going to work with because I know he's got my back. I know that he wants to make sure that I'm, I'm taken care of. That's stickiness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's stickiness yeah, in its higher form. That's the dream. Right. <laughs> and it, well, it brings it full circle as well, because that's added value. What you were saying, yes. you know, a fruit basket, it's, you know, it's nice, but adding yeah. actual value in relation to marketing is, I think it's so much stronger. So I, I love yeah. that. It's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've mentioned yeah, and, the and, P words. And it's, and it's small things that, you know, it doesn't have to be extensive. I mean, mm. for him to call me back and talk to me for two minutes, it was two minutes of his time for mm -hmm. him to quickly, you know, go to his boss and say, Hey, this person's having an issue for him to quickly call the other guy and say, Hey, this is what's going on. You know, he called me afterwards and made sure everything was good. It, it was only a, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. It was really that 5% rule. I, I, I love the 5% rule. Um, the 5% rule is whatever you're doing, increase what you're doing, take another action, do one more thing where it's a 5% more of what you just did. 5% better, 5% effort. That little extra push consistently every single time 
just expands and expands and expands and puts you miles apart from somebody else. Mm. That's excellent. I'm going to take that 5% rule moving forward. That makes total sense. And um, total worthwhile investment from the, the plumber standpoint as well. Like you say, not, not a lot of effort, but a good payoff yeah. of a potential client for life. Um, Lisa, you've mentioned the, the P word a couple of times. Let's dive into perfectionism and, and how that affects you. Do you consider yourself a perfectionist? What does that look like in your relationship? Um, I would say that there are times when I focus too much on perfection instead of output and success. Um, I guess I would say I'm like a closeted perfectionist. Um, <laughs> so there are some times where I'm like, eh, good enough. And sometimes that can be dangerous too, right? Where it's like, eh, mm. I'm okay, just keep going. Um, but there are times where I'm like, oh my God, I want to get this just right. And this needs to be just perfect. And that can also be dangerous. There has to be that sweet spot in the middle where it's a really good output and you're not getting in your own way trying to make it 110%, but it's really, really excellent. And it's something you can stand for and be proud of. Um, yeah. I know one of the things that I struggle with um, in terms of perfectionism with my agency is I have to constantly remind myself that my journey is my journey alone and it's never a straight line because mm. God doesn't paint in straight lines. Like there are going to be some, some peaks and valleys and that's okay. Um, you know, I had, uh, I remember when I first started out, um, I went to a, um, a conference for my certification. I have, I'm a, certified woman owned and small business owned business. And I went to the conference and you get to talk to different fortune 100 companies. You, they ask for appointments with you, um, you know, to help with their supplier diversity. And I sat down with one organization and one of the two um, individuals that, that was at the table um, was very negative about, how many years I had been in business and where my revenue was at that point. Um, and I walked away from that meeting. At first I was, you know, oh my God, I'm a failure. I'm a this, I'm a that. All those voices started just, you know, screaming in my head. And then I really had to take a step back and go, well, hold on a second. I'm profitable. I make money <laughs> and just because I'm not at a, a level that she thinks I should be at, does that really mean that, that I haven't found success? No. And she's coming from an agency or an organization where, you know, they're 70, 80, 90 years in the making, but when it started, it started at zero hmm. and she didn't have any impact on its growth. She's come in when it's at one of its peaks. So she didn't actually affect this organization's journey. Hmm. Every day that I show up for my clients, every day that I show up for my team, every day that I show up for my audiences and my followers, I'm 
moving the needle forward. And it's okay if my journey is different than what someone else thinks it should be, because it's my mm -hmm. journey. And I really had to stop and go, well, hold on a second. Maybe I'm not at the level she thinks I should be. But if I look at the past several years, I've created for myself seven figures worth of dollar value. That's nothing to, to turn your nose up at. Mm, great. And, you know, I have the potential with my agency to grow it to whatever I want. And if I want it to be a multi-million dollar agency, I can do that. And if I don't, that's okay too. It's my journey and it's my company. And, and as long as I'm fulfilling my, my promise to my clients, fulfilling my promise to my team members and having a good time doing it, I think I'm okay. So that. that was something that really, I had to really think through and go, well, hold on a second. It's okay to have a journey like this because Agreed. I've created that. That's my journey. Not too bad. <laughs> I know absolutely it's commendable. And yet something I think a lot of people out there that will relate to me when I say that I experience, you know, kind of comparison culture of looking at other people and thinking, why aren't I in similar situations? And something that's really important about that is not comparing like a seedling to an oak tree, because, it, you know, like you say, that company that you was sort of snubbing you was once in that same position. So to compare, that's not like for like comparison. I, no. I mean, I don't agree with comparing anyway, but if you are going to compare for inspiration or to, you know, just vet yourself, at least compare to a similar uh, a similar size or a similar level or a similar position in the journey and what you said about the ups and downs for me it's all about zooming out because a bad day can feel like you've you know gone down on the trajectory but if right. you zoomed out on the whole thing you would still be on a graph you know on the upward scale if you're doing your daily action and and sticking to it so really right, powerful right. stuff. and and the environment we're in today is completely different than the environment we were in three years ago mm, agreed so imagine in the environment 90 years ago, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, you're talking apples and Sasuntian bridges. Like these are not comparable. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you, but you know, you know, and tomorrow's going to be something completely different. And next year we could have a zombie apocalypse. I mean, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Well, we know which book to read if there is. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> For I sure. love that. And Lisa, I've got one more for you. And that is because I myself am, am a dog lover. What inspired the name Three Dog Right for your agency? So when I started my company in 2012, um, that was the height of blogging. Blogging was the thing to do. Um, everyone wanted a blog on their website. And I was a writer by trade. And that's where I started getting a lot of my um, work from was doing blogs and writing, um, you know, and just providing that that type of uh, digital content. Um, so I knew I wanted writing in the title. And at the time, I had three rescue pugs. And, you know, I thought, well, I, I have three dogs, and I, you know, I want to do something about writing. 
And then I thought about the band Three Dog Night. And I'm like, oh, I could do a play on that. Three Dog Right. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then I went, yeah, I'll, I'll stick. I'll go with it. Huh. I guess I am a marketer. <laughs> I, guess, I guess every once in a while I, I can come up with something good. Um, and the reason why I did number three is because when, when companies are listed, numbers come before letters. Mm. Just a tip. Very smart. Love yeah. that. That is a very good tip. And uh, speaking of tips, as a way to sort of close us out, what uh, if someone's been listening to this and thinking, oh, I totally relate. Um, I would like to do that, but something's holding me back. What advice would you give Lisa? Um, I think the first thing is just take one action, one step. And that could be, you know, if you're looking to start a business, maybe your one step is you have the business name, search to make sure no one else has it. That's your first step. And then do a step after that and a step after that. It can be really, really overwhelming if you think of the end point you have to get to, but you have to go through, you know, a hundred thousand steps to get there. So mm -hmm. just look at what the next step is, the next step. Um, it, it makes you really take the work and kind of sandwich bite-sized pieces one bite at a time. And it makes it a lot more tolerable and a lot less overwhelming to move forward with what you think you want to do. And, you know, and believe me, I've, I've been there where you're like, oh my God, I got to have this and do that. And it, one thing, one thing a day, just do one thing and then do the next thing the next day. And just every day, take just one more step. Again, that 5% rule. What's the next thing? Another 5%. What's the next thing? Another 5%. It just makes it so much easier in the long run. And Excellent. before you know it, you'll turn around and you'll be like, oh my God, look how far I got. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> With three books behind you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, if you had told me, you know, three, four years ago, you're going to write several books. I'd be like, no, no, I need another 15, 20 years. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and again, the other, the other thing I would tell anybody who's listening is there's no cost to a conversation. If you can talk to people and find out their journey, do it when, um, so in, uh, December of 2017, one of my best friends gave me a book called how to grow your consulting agency by two authors, Henry DeVries and Mark LeBlanc. She had gone to one of Mark LeBlanc's conferences. Henry had his contact information in the back of the book, which to me is an invitation to talk to him. <laughs> so, so I went ahead and reached out to him. Um, I met him at, a, uh, I met him for coffee in the morning at a restaurant. It was supposed to be like a 30 minute conversation. And I wanted to know everything I could about his journey. I was fascinated with how he got to where he was right then, which was running a publishing company. And he had run a multi-million dollar marketing agency. And that 30 minute conversation turned into a three hour conversation. 
And he said to me, you need to publish a book. There's a book in you. You need to publish it. And I was like, no, no. And he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to stay on you. You need to publish a book. And he is one of my mentors now. Um, mm. I mean, he is fantastic. And clearly he was right because I have two books coming out next year. And I have my next book for 2024, the topic already chosen. And I still have three other book ideas that I wrote down. So, mm. yeah. And it just takes one person to talk to you and to put you on a different path. So anytime you have an opportunity to have a conversation, have it. There's no cost to it. And in fact, it can absolutely change your outlook and completely change your path. Just a slight pivot and suddenly you're off in a completely different direction. And they're like, wow, this is insane. Absolutely. There you go, folks. Bite-sized chunks and reach out for conversations. I love that. Solid, solid advice. Uh, Lisa, that's just about all we've got time for. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, I'll pop your contact details or your links in the show notes so everyone can connect with you after, just in case. Yes, please do. Please connect with me. Follow me on LinkedIn. Um, if you are interested in getting on a mailing list for my next book, which is about the greatest personal brand story ever told, uh, please shoot me an email. I will make sure that you are on a list. Um, and I'd actually love to develop a community, um, you know, where when I'm creating the book cover, I can get uh, some community feedback. That's always fun to see what people Absolutely. think about book covers. People love that. <laughs> wonderful wonderful yeah so everyone thanks so much for listening and reach out to lisa if you want more info take care thank you so much for joining everyone please do remember to connect and follow alistair and today's speakers see you next time